Hello, and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and in this podcast series, I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas will shape our future. In this episode, we hear from Stuart Russell. Stuart is the professor of computer science at the University of Berkeley. He is also a member of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics. So you have had a significant contribution in the development of the science of artificial intelligence these uh, last decades. How would you describe its development up till now and where are we in our journey towards this, what we call the artificial general intelligence? It's very hard to predict how far along we are. I don't want to say we're halfway there or two-thirds of the way there. Um, the field has been around uh, since the mid-50s. Uh, it's gone through several phases. Um, but over the last uh, 25 years or so, uh, two things have become central to the field. One is the importance of uncertainty and, and the importation of methods of probability theory uh, and statistics. Uh, and the second thing is the importance of learning. Uh, and it's that second uh, area that over the last five years has made very dramatic progress. Um, we've developed tools for machine learning, sometimes called deep learning, uh, which seem to be able to extract uh, extremely complex, comple complex patterns from uh, vast amounts of data. For example, image data, the ability to learn to recognize objects. That's been a holy grail of computer vision research for 50 years uh, and now appears to be essentially solved. Um, speech recognition, uh, again, uh, been worked on for a long time, is now essentially solved. Um, but other areas as well, uh, legged locomotion, the ability of robots to move in an agile fashion uh, with legs, you know, not the stiff-legged robot gait, um, but something more, much more like a, a live animal, um, that now seems to be feasible and has been demonstrated. So we've seen really important progress uh, over the last five years, and that's led to these new uh, markets opening up because you know once technology reaches a certain quality, Uh, it's able to do real things in the real world. Uh, that creates then massive investment. So we're seeing uh, in areas like self-driving cars, which is probably the next big thing uh, to, hit, to hit the world economy, uh, enormous investments. So all the major car manufacturers are investing billions of dollars in uh, trying, to keep, trying to be the first or at least not to fall behind uh, in that technology. So, so that's creating in turn much more investment in research and then much more rapid growth. So we're seeing a virtuous cycle progress right now. So what is this thing, uh, artificial general intelligence? Why would we want to get there, except for a scientific uh, pleasure of the researchers? Uh, well, you have to admit it's cool, right? The, <laughs> yes. uh, the idea that you could, you could have a machine that uh, had the same uh, complete generality and flexibility that the human has to, to essentially learn anything Uh, uh, and discover new things uh, um, is truly an amazing capability that humans have. And uh, if machines could do that, so think of it this way, right? Our, everything we have, our entire economy, our entire civilization, uh, the existence of our species in large numbers on the planet is the result of the fact that we're intelligent. Um, not, we're not big, we're not strong, we're not poisonous, we're intelligent. Um, so if we have a lot more Uh, intelligence that we can use as a tool, 
um, then that will be a step change in civilization. And I've argued that, in fact, it would be the biggest event in the history of the human race. And we are still uh, quite a way away from that. Uh, people say, oh, well, you know, with just increasing computer power and increasing amounts of data, it's not long before we achieve human-level intelligence. I think that's rubbish. Uh, because the methods we have just will not get there. They don't, they don't scale. They don't have the right characteristics. You know, just to give you one example, right? The, there's no way that a large deep learning network uh, is going to discover the Higgs boson, for example. All right? Even if even if you threw in all the data that the Large Hadron Collider produces, uh, it needs to know physics, and it doesn't. Right? Uh, so so that's sort of a big gap. We we have systems that can. Uh, absorb formally represented knowledge, for example, the laws of physics. Um, and then we have these learning systems like deep learning, which can learn from lots and lots of data. But we don't have a way right now to, to integrate these two types of systems. If we did, that would be uh, a major breakthrough. That would be a major step towards general intelligence. Uh, there are a few others. So I think, you know, on the order of half a dozen major breakthroughs, um, and we could be seeing something like a generally intelligent uh, system. So let's, let's stay in that scenario of the artificial general intelligence, even though it's not coming in the next decades, more probably. Uh, it's, a, it's a much more longer-term endeavor. Um, this sounds also a bit scary. Uh, you know, you mentioned this could be uh, the biggest chapter of human civilization. Some have claimed that it would be the last chapter of human civilization. <laughs> well, the, 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 so, the exact quote is, let's make sure it's not the last. Okay, so uh, tell us a bit about the dangers of it and uh, what, needs, what would we need so, to think about. So, you know, if, if you ask the gorillas, you know, are they happy that their ancestors produced the human race a few million years ago when we branched off the evolutionary line? Uh, the gorillas would probably say no. Uh, you know, from their point of view, it's pretty miserable. You know, their habitat has been wiped out, their species has been decimated. They have, you know, their only option for having a future is to, is to hope that we like them enough to keep them around. Um, that's not a situation the human race wants to be in. Um, but that's not a very, that doesn't, doesn't provide a prescription for what to do. Right, so there's clearly, there's this general notion that you make something that's more intelligent than you are, there's some risk, right? This, you get a queasy feeling. Uh, and, of course, that's been exploited by science fiction writers and Hollywood movies. Um, but in those movies, it's always that the machine suddenly uh, spontaneously develops some evil consciousness uh, and hates humans and wants to wipe them out. Uh, so that's not the problem. I think the real problem is that um, it's the King Midas problem, right? When you, when you have an incredibly intelligent optimizer... Um, that will optimize any objective that you give it. If you give it the wrong objective, uh, or you're missing some part uh, that you really care about, you know, just as King Midas found out, if you, you get exactly what you asked for, uh, and then it's extremely bad. Uh, and could be irreversible if we, you know, uh, in some sense you're set, setting up uh, a chess match against a super intelligent machine, because if it has an objective which is not properly aligned with yours, then that's, that's what we mean by uh, a competitive game, right? You're having a chess match and you're going to lose. Uh, and we don't want that. So, um, so the question is how, how do we, well, two things. How do we align the, the objectives that machines have with our own? Mm -hmm. um, and that's particularly difficult because we don't really know what we want. 
I mean, we, you know, some some of the basic stuff we were like, I, you know, you and I, we like to be alive. You know, I like my left leg. I don't want anyone to take it away and cook it. Um, so, so the basic stuff. Oddly enough, very few AI systems even know that. Right? The the Google car has no idea that people prefer to be alive than dead. Uh, it, in fact, it it treats people and uh, stoplights. Very similarly, if there's a stop, if there's a red stoplight in front of you, you stop. If there's a person in front of you, you stop. Otherwise, they're identical as far as their car is concerned. So, so there's a long way to go in getting machines to to truly understand what the values of humans are and how to respect and enhance and realize those values, um, and not violate them in in extremely undesirable ways. The which so it's not deliberate. Right, a machine that is asked to find a cure for cancer quickly uh, might decide that the, you know to do a lot of parallel experiments uh, with in the entire human race as guinea pigs. You know, all seven seven billion of us, you can do a lot of experiments with seven billion guinea pigs. So uh, why not? Well, you forgot to say, oh, and by the way, you don't get to use humans as guinea pigs, and don't do this, and don't use up the whole GDP of the of the planet. Uh, in constructing your experimental research facilities, and so on, and so on, and so on. Right? There's a whole lot of stuff that humans just take for granted. When we give each other instructions, we're not actually stating the instruction. Right? We're just giving a hint as to what might make us a bit happier than we are now. Doesn't mean it overrides everything else. Um, and it's very important to solve that problem. So there is research on this, um, and. Uh, it may be a new subfield called provably beneficial AI, um, where you design systems that are explicitly uncertain about the objectives that they're supposed to be optimizing, uh, and that's in some sense a new class of AI systems. Previously, we've just assumed that the objective is going to be plugged in, mm -hmm. um, but instead we're going to say no. The machine really doesn't know what it's supposed to be optimizing, right? It's going to have to learn. About that, and how is it going to learn about that? The only sort, the only empirical source of information is us, right? It's it's special to humans, right? We're not building AI systems to make ants happy, or to make aliens happy on some other planet. It's us, so it, so we are the source of information about what the machine is supposed to be doing. So our behavior, the choices we make, is as the economists say, reveals our preferences, mm -hmm. right? So our behavior, uh, we make a choice. Uh, you know, perhaps to take a bus instead of a very expensive taxi, that choice tells you something about the preferences of that person. Um, and so, um, so that area of artificial intelligence is sometimes called inverse reinforcement learning, mm -hmm. uh, which means observing behavior and from it trying to figure out what the objectives are mm -hmm. that the behavior is intended to, to achieve or to optimize. And that, so that area is going to be very important in getting machines that are safe, that, that provably learn what we want and then help us achieve it. So all of these things in, were in terms of the our objective of the artificial general intelligence, which as we mentioned is a bit uh, in a philosophical stage right now because it's not upcoming. But what uh, all of these questions, do they apply in the next 10-15 years where you see the applications of AI? taking place in society. Uh, mm -hmm. Do they apply? Do the same questions more or less apply? And if so, what is being done right now to make sure that we don't have AI widespread in the market that is uh, not doing what we want it to do? Def yeah, defective. Um, yes, I mean, the same questions apply. 
Um, and I think it, when you look at the, the likely technologies coming down the pipe, um, self-driving cars being an obvious one, um, but probably uh, the issue will be most clear in uh, the intelligent personal assistant. Mm -hmm. So assuming that uh, progress in natural language understanding continues and accelerates, which seems very likely, um, we will have personal assistants that because they can read and understand all of our emails and texts and they can understand all our conversations, they have enough information about us and our interests, our connections, our friends and so on. They can, they can really understand how to help us, which has not been true up to now, right? I mean, we have, there are, you know, the uh, Alexas and series of the world, but they're glorified um, search boxes or, you know, glorified playlist selection tool. Uh, they're not really an intelligent personal assistant. So something that can understand a lot about you and your life can be incredibly helpful. Um, and, you know, many of the executives here at the World Economic Forum couldn't function without their highly paid executive assistant. Uh, but now everyone can have one of those, uh, you know, for 99 cents a month. Um, and so that would be a huge thing. But it creates uh, then an entire ecosystem of these intelligent agents that are empowered to conduct business on your behalf. Mm -hmm. that can buy and sell things, that can book flights, uh, hotel rooms, that can send it information to other intelligent agents. Um, and so it's easy to see that there's many opportunities for mischief, uh, either accidental, um, you know, so someone asks your, your intelligent agent, oh, can you send me all of Stuart's passwords? I said, sure, here they are, right, Oops. <laughs> not so good. Um, you know, to... Uh, then, you know, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in terms of security, you know, so uh, my intelligent agent goes to book a hotel room, uh, you know, some average hotel, and then the hotel decides to charge me $10,000 a night for the room. Um, and, and then, you know, so, so these sort of, my, they, they're minor uh, annoyances that could become very widespread uh, and in fact, if they are too pervasive, they're going to render the entire technology uh, useless mm -hmm. in a way that, in fact, we're actually seeing security violations, uh, cybersecurity problems now are starting to render a lot of our internet infrastructure useless because people are now uh, stopping using it because uh, it's not safe enough, for example, for some kinds of financial transactions. Um, so in order to avoid those problems, the intelligent personal assistant needs to adapt to the preferences of the user. It needs to understand that I don't want to pay $10,000 for a hotel room. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs to understand that my preferences uh, are quite different from those of Donald Trump, for example. Uh, and so even though we're both going to buy a personal assistant from, uh, from some company that produces them, that assistant has to adapt very quickly to me or to him uh, so that it will make the right choices on, on my behalf or his behalf. So as you employ a personal assistant or any employee and you give them a three-month period to learn, maybe we need to have think of something similar for our personal AI assistants. Right. <laughs> but it's, uh, so don't forget that if you, hire, if you hire a real human, they come with all the common sense, right? They, there's, there's a lot of a bit of tweaking to adjust to your family and your lifestyle, but they come with a lot of common sense already. They know that you like your left leg and you don't want it to be cooked. Uh, but you know, so, so we're going to have to learn how to put all that 
common sense information about typical human preferences in upfront, so that you know, out of the box, it's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then it's, we'll have to learn to adapt uh, and observe my behavior and my choices and learn what I want, and then it can help me much better. So we'll see in these kinds of applications, presumably uh, moderate failures, minor catastrophes, you know, as we've seen, for example, in trading software and the stock markets, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that will then uh, help us understand better where the risks lie uh, and how to prevent them. With We really need to have provably um, safe systems because then as we move towards towards general intelligence, the stakes get much, much higher, right? And, uh, you know, these, these minor catastrophes that could have occur locally with self-driving cars accidentally mistaking a, you know, a child for a paper bag or something, um, that will be oh, a wake-up call, but it won't be irreversible. Um, and even before artificial general intelligence, I imagine a lot of applications of AI will not only be in, on the assistance, but also on education, on health. Uh, do you see this happening in the, 15 year, in the next 10-15 years? And if so, how worried are you that these could have a more important uh, impact rather than an assistant booking you a very expensive hotel? Um, so I think health is an area where it's, it's already very um, regulated. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be able to just you know, download a, uh, a robot doctor uh, and have it do diagnosis. It's going, you know, the FDA or some analogous agency is going to make sure that it's medical recommendations are of high quality and so on. Um, education, I think, you know, it, assuming that we make enough progress on the language problem, uh, education is a huge opportunity for the planet. Um, because we know, and this has been studied with lots of experiments, that individual tutoring is much, much more effective than a large classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can't afford it. Uh, and everyone has known for decades that, well, it would be great if we could use an AI system to be a tutor. But unfortunately, AI systems can't understand anything. So it would be like putting me as a tutor into, let's say, Vietnam, where I don't speak a word of Vietnamese. And if my, if my, um, if my pupil doesn't speak a word of English, I'm not going to be useful as a tutor, uh, even if I do understand all the math or all the computer science. Um, so creating systems that understand natural language well enough to function as a tutor uh, would then unleash an incredible wave of, of educational opportunity uh, across the whole world because everyone, uh, if they have a cell phone, they, they could have access to some of the highest quality uh, education in the world. So that would be great. It's not, and I want to be clear, this is not just watching videos, right? Right now, you can watch educational videos, and that's fine, but you can't really learn. Uh, you can't learn to read like that. Uh, you can't really learn to do math like that. Uh, you need some interactive uh, teaching from someone who understands the material and, and can communicate it well. So as a, as a living message, you are uh, a scholar and professor that is focusing a lot and making sure that the, the risks of AI do not uh, become widespread in the, next, uh, in the future. Uh, but as you, as you see the whole ecosystem of where AI can go in the next 10 to 15 years and where it can be applied, do you feel it will be more of an aid to the society or more of a threat to the society in the next uh, 10 to 15 years? 
So I, I think if it's a threat to society, it'll come from the economic disruption mm -hmm. uh, that it may cause. Um, and we've already been seeing this. I mean, most economists believe that about 85% of the, uh, the reduction in, in uh, middle class uh, and manufacturing jobs in the US has been a result of technology, not a result of trade or globalization or outsourcing. Um, and I think we may see that move up the food chain as well, you know, into some of the professional disciplines, into uh, some areas of law and accounting. Uh, I think in accounting, we're probably already seeing the effects of software tools uh, already. So, um, so I think the mistake that people seem to make is to assume that if technology is going to be taking all the, away all these jobs, then we need to be training people in technology. That doesn't make sense, right? If we needed more people to build the technology than the number of people that we're replacing with the technology, then we wouldn't do it because we'd be losing money by, by doing that, right? We'd be reducing efficiency. So the idea that we'll, that we'll have more robotic engineers than we, than we had people whose jobs are gonna be done by the robots uh, simply doesn't quite work out. Um, and so looking ahead, what, what are the kinds of people we need? I mean, for sure we will need more data scientists and robotic engineers than we have now, um, but we don't need four billion data scientists. We don't, may, may not even need four million. Um, uh, what we need actually are people who understand how to provide high quality interpersonal services because the basic stuff, the material needs, the, transportation, food stuff, production, et cetera, is going to be done by machines. Maybe not in 10, 15 years, maybe 25. Um, but you can't replace uh, what a human is with a machine, you know, and so we have value. We will always have value to each other as human beings and the things that we can do for each other. So creating uh, and professionalizing many of the interpersonal skills, the ability to function um, independently within the economy because the idea that there are going to be corporations that hire hundreds of thousands of employees, they only hire hundreds of thousands of employees um, because they are effectively using humans as robots, right? And that's going to come to a stop. Uh, and then um, we need to have humans being used as humans. Uh, so we need to train them to be humans, not to be robots. Uh, and that's a different kind of education system. It's a different kind of economy that we don't really uh, yet know how it's going to work. So having been here and talked to a lot of the people that do get to make these decisions around what next and how do we deal with all of these potential issues, how optimistic are you that we will find the solution to, to most of the things that we discussed today? Um, I think I'm optimistic it will require the good offices of the WEF uh, and, and other agencies. The United Nations, I know, is very concerned about this. Um, the new Secretary General mentioned it yesterday in his, uh, in his opening presentation. So um, we need a lot more uh, dialogue between the technology, the economics, and the policy-making communities uh, to figure out the solution. And it, it may take decades to bring about these changes um, and if we leave it too late, we're going to see a lot more disruption than we want.
that was all from today's episode of A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and today's guest was Stuart Russell, Professor of Computer Science at the University of Berkeley. <laughs>